righteousness. We read it earlier in Matthew 5, 6. Elizabeth did a marvelous job of leading us in our verse. Uh, we're incorporating our young people to help with our verses on Sunday, and they fight over who's going to get to share them each week. It's been great. Well, fighting's probably not the right word. You ever heard the phrase, you are what you eat, now that Jim mentioned that? <laughs> Boy, that's a true statement, isn't it? We are what we eat. Um, the more I go to Weight Watchers, the more I understand that. I used to jokingly say that I don't need to go to Weight Watchers, I just look down and watch all the weight I need, but uh, that hasn't worked too well. But I'm learning. Sometimes you, things you eat do affect you. I think that also carries over into our spiritual walk. And the nourishment, the type of things we feed on spiritually, and the type of food we take in spiritually can affect us. Again, Matthew 5, 6 said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness because they will be filled. Jesus is challenging us with this verse. It's one of the Verses, it's the fourth challenge in the Beatitudes. It's a very simple sentence. Jesus tells us that our hunger determines our spiritual health. And there's three principles I want you to learn from this verse to take, wrap up and take home with you. The first one is the possibility of righteousness. I've heard about righteousness all of my life especially in the church. Any of you hear about righteousness? Just kind of nod at me if you've heard about it. Do you understand it? Well, now that's a whole different story. Because righteousness has a lot that carries with it. In order to understand this fourth beatitude, we need to know what does Jesus mean by righteousness? The word righteousness only occurs once in the other four Gospels. It occurs seven times in Matthew's Gospel and five times in the Sermon on the Mount. The word's a mystery. We know it has something to do with doing what's right, being right, and not doing things that are wrong. Sometimes whenever you come upon a term in the Bible that you don't understand, it can be helpful to look at other verses of Scripture to help you kind of get an understanding of that verse. I practice the five and five plan. If I'm reading a verse and I, it doesn't quite make sense, I go five before and five after, and it usually fits right in. It makes sense. You might try that in your Bible reading and Bible study. But what does he mean by righteousness? Let's take a look at those times when Jesus mentioned it again in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 5.10, he said, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness. You see, righteousness is a lifestyle. And it distinguishes us as true Christians and invites opposition from the world. Matthew 5.10 is the 8th and the final beatitude. And if you were to take the 4th one and the 8th one and combine them, you'd get something like this. We're to hunger and to thirst after a kind of life that will cause some people to persecute us for our faith. 
Everybody ready to sign up? <laughs> Righteousness is a lifestyle that will set you apart as a true Christian. It will also invite persecution. People are going to pick on you. So it's a lifestyle that distinguishes us as true Christians. And secondly, the second uh, observation I would have you see is that righteousness starts in the heart and changes a person from the inside out. Look at verse 20 of Matthew chapter 5. By the way, that's where we'll be for a while, so get there in your Bibles. We didn't even hold those up yet, have we? That's all right. No, we better stop because you'll be griping on up. I'm a child of God. I have in my hand, finally, the powerful Word of God. It can change lives, heal broken hearts, save man's soul. Here's our prayer. Lord Jesus, today, speak to me. In Jesus' name, amen. I know you just wanted to hug your neighbor, so go ahead and do that right quick. Matthew 5.20 Jesus says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpass that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You see, the Pharisees had concocted a religious system built around attendance at the temple. It involved these intricate rules and uh, regulations and routines. And it was like wearing cheap perfume that you splash on to make yourself smell good, and if it's, but it's not really a part of you, you can't really cover the odor underneath. True righteousness starts in the heart and changes the person from the inside out. So righteousness is a lifestyle that distinguishes us as true Christians. It starts in the heart, changes you from the inside out. And then the third observation I would have you see his righteousness doesn't need to be seen by others, but only by God. Go to chapter one, uh, chapter 6 and verse 1 of Matthew. Jesus said, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of people to be seen by them. Otherwise, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. You see, the Pharisees loved to pray in public. Loudly. Oh, Lord! So glad I'm here today praying to you. Almighty God. Forgive these sinners in my midst today. I thank you that I'm not like them. I'm grateful that I'm one of your servants of Pharisee. You see what I've done? What have I done? I've drawn all attention to myself. Well, guess what? My reward is in full according to Scripture. Oh, and they love doing it. They dress up in their religious uh, uniforms and outfits. And, oh, they would just get out. and Oh, when they gave their money, they would do coins because they loved coins. They'd hit the metal container and make noise when they put it in. I was coming to church last night to kind of go over some things for today. And Brother Bobby was in the driveway selling Kool-Aid. I'll tell you, this man is the next president. I pulled over. I said, Bobby, how much is your Kool-Aid? He said, it's a quarter, or you can give me a dollar. <laughs> I, I said, what? He goes, it can go either way, preacher. You can give me a quarter, or you can give me a dollar. 
I said, well, bring me a cup. And while he was coming, I found 10 dimes. I handed them to him. And, and he looked at them. And I said, there's a dollar there. There's 10 of those. Oh. So he smiled real good. So we visited a little longer, and I drank my cup. I said, how about another cup? He said, a quarter or a dollar. <laughs> yeah, no, no free refills here, pal. I'll tell you. Kind of like the Pharisees. They like to rattle that change in there so people would notice that they put money in the offering. Their religion was built on the praise of men. That's why they wanted to kill Jesus anyway. Because Jesus came and became much more popular among the people and they were losing their position of authority, their position of influence. So the best way to stop that is what? Kill him. Kill him. Ridicule him. If you can't really make your point well enough, then you destroy your opponent. Verbally or physically. But it was a cotton candy religion. <laughs> Looked good. Wasn't much substance. You ever eaten cotton candy? Boy, it looks great. And as soon as you put it in your mouth, it just disintegrates, doesn't it? Just gone. You think, well, 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 it's sticky all over. It's great. Not that I've had any, but it's, it's great. Righteousness is a lifestyle. Distinguishes us as true Christians. Starts in the heart. Changes from the inside out. Doesn't need to be seen by others. Only by God. And the fourth observation is that righteousness causes us to seek God's approval above anything else. The fourth occurrence of that word, most of you know in Matthew 6 and verse 33, where Jesus said, But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you, or added to you. This verse touches the priorities of life. What is it that you're seeking in life? Fame? Fortune? Career advancement? A good salary, a secure future, a happy retirement, a marriage partner, the fulfillment of your dreams. As good as those things may be, they aren't the most important things in life. If we put God's kingdom first, God's righteousness first, then everything that we need is going to be given to us. The problem is our want list gets in place of our need list. Saw a guy pulling one of the biggest boats I've seen in a long time yesterday. I thought, whoop, spring's here. <laughs> he doesn't think winter's going to come around anymore. Big old boat. What if he gets to the lake and it won't start? Mick said in Sunday school, he said, well, you don't paddle those kind. <laughs> no, I guess you don't. <laughs> he probably pay more to have that thing fixed than it's worth. It's got to have it. Got to have that big old boat. But if you put these four passages, these four observations, these four verses where righteousness is used, you'll get something like this. A truly Christian lifestyle that changes us from the inside out so that we no longer seek the praise of men, but causes us to seek God's approval above everything else. It's the kind of life is possible. Or is it? 
Jesus plainly says that anyone who lives this way is blessed by God. Sounds good. So why don't we all live this way? That question leads us into the second principle. And that is the power of hunger. The people Jesus talked to understood what it meant to be hungry or thirsty. In that region, few were prosperous and more than likely at one time or another, those who were listening that day experienced the kind of hunger that he was talking about here. They lived in poverty without grocery stores and refrigerators and running water. They'd gone days without food. They were well acquainted with hunger pangs. Any of you felt hunger pangs? We've never known true hunger like these people. To us, hunger means that we have to wait an extra 10 minutes for the rolls to come out of the oven. Or an extra 30 minutes for the preacher to finish so we won't miss lunch. Hunger for most of us is that sensation in our stomach. Though we've just eaten, we've got to stop by McDonald's and get a burger and fries on the way through. At least the fries. Ice cream. Chicken nuggets. I've got a firestorm going here. Hunger for the most of us is that sensation that We try to satisfy, but we don't need to. And our problem isn't finding something to eat. It's losing the fat that comes from all that food we do eat. Ay, 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 ay. The anointing of God just left me when I talk about this. Jesus uses the metaphors of eating and drinking as the motivating power to live a righteous life. You see, if we're hungry, thirsty after righteousness our lives would be different our whole focus would be different now let me give you four challenges to make this work practically number one is you have to want it no one can force you to it in fact nobody can force you to eat remember the old adage you can lead a horse to water but you can't make him drink I can't make you eat. I can't make you drink righteousness. I can't make you eat the fruit of righteousness. I can't make you do it. I'd love to. I'd love to put a half Nelson around you and drag you to the front and make you do something. But I can't do it. Because if I could do it, it would only last as long as you felt compelled to do it by me. And then you'd have to go back to your old slothful lifestyle. The verbs for hunger and thirst mean an intense desire, this strong craving, this all-consuming pursuit. Whenever we go to Dallas, Cindy and I have this consuming pursuit to eat at Papado's. Rodney posted on Facebook last week, authentic Cajun food, because he was in Louisiana. I kept wanting to put on there, you're not even right with God to put this on here. (laughs) And then to have the audacity to eat it after you put it on there and made fun of all of us who couldn't 
I could hear him in the background going, <laughs> as he put, posted those pictures. It wasn't any good, was it, brother? Yeah, I can tell. He hated it so much, he got rid of all of it. I, you, know. you ever been so parched that nothing would satisfy the thirst except that cool water? Oh, when I was playing football, I remember those days. Even though it was hose water, tasted like hose water. You know, hose water tastes different than other water. Because you pick up some of the hose into the water. But even on those days, I hose water <laughs> tasted really good. Yeah, we didn't have girls on the sideline with, with sprayers and with, you know, ice and all. You know, we didn't have that stuff. You're lucky to get a drink of anything. But to describe a person, Jesus would tell us, and we do today, we describe a person who's ambitious and passionate and desperate to achieve and succeed, we call them, they're hungry. I want you working for me. I want people who are hungry working for me, right? Because that means they're after it. They're passionate. They really want to get after it. Our coaches that are in our church, they don't want players that are just going to sit on the sideline and content to be there. They want somebody that's hungry to be on the field. They want to play. Let me play, let me play, let me play. Bug them to death till they put them on the field. Now, if you can't produce while you're out there, so once you get a chance to play, you better play. Amen. So when Jesus gives you a chance to play, you better play. But most of us are content. Oh, we're very content to just sit on the sideline. We need to be like David in Psalm 42. As the deer pants for streams of water, so I long for you, God. I thirst for God, the living God, when I come and appear before God. Psalm 63, 1. God, you are my God. I eagerly seek you. I thirst for you. My body faints for you in a land that is dry, desolate, and without water. Woo, man, that's, that's some yearning, isn't it? That's some yearning. Cindy was on a business trip a week or so ago. And I always think, hey, man, I'm going to have the house to myself. This will be great. And every time I see my dog, she looks at me really funny. Because Cindy isn't there. And I get to looking at my dog the same way. Because Cindy isn't there. And it just doesn't, it just, it, I'm used to having her there. And whenever you're separated like that, I don't know, maybe I'm the only one that feels that way. Boy. You know, I laid down, I thought, man, I could have this whole bed by myself. I slept on my side. It was just weird. And I know there's been some of you that those loved ones have gone on to be with the Lord. I cannot imagine. I cannot imagine that adjustment. But somehow we make it, don't we? My beautiful wife came home. Grateful. Grateful. When I see that car drive in the driveway, I'm grateful. One day we're going to get to see them again, though. Amen. But we need, to, we need to say to Jesus, I not only want you, but I need you. And I not only need you, but I must have you. Boy, there's a passion, isn't there? The second challenge is to take action. Appetites are filled. They're, they're not filled until you do something about it. I mean, you can be hungry, but if you don't ever eat. 
It's one thing to say you're, you're in your mind that you're hungry and you desire food is quite another to take steps to satisfy that hunger. I love the commercial where the boys are staring in the freezer and say, Mom, we're dying. Say, no, you're not. Straight head to your left, and there's the Tostitos right there. Come on. Nod heads. They're not heads. I remember Mark was senior, and Joey and Evan would come over to the house. Cindy had been to the grocery store. One of them walked in the kitchen said, she's been to the store. And all of a sudden, there's like 90 people show up at our house. It's really just three of them, but it looked like locusts went through there. Complete rows of Oreos, not just one or two. They grabbed the whole roll, just like a deck of cards. I thought, wow, that's all right. I miss those days. I'd have it again in a minute. But you know what? When you're really hungry, you find a way to satisfy that hunger. So spiritually, are you that hungry that you're going to find a way to satisfy it? In John 6, Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. No one, comes, no, no one who comes to me will ever be hungry, and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The bread that I give for life of the world is my flesh. St. Augustine was right when he said, Oh God, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until we find rest in you. There's a fundamental problem, however. To fill that spiritual hunger and thirst, many people are going to the wrong places. Pleasure, performance, possession. They're living on the junk food of another job, another marriage, another vacation, or they're thinking, all I need to do is read the Bible every now and then, attend church, Sunday school, and worship every once in a while, serve in this ministry when I feel like it. In the message of Isaiah 55 too, it says this, Why do you spend your money on junk food, your hard-earned cash on cotton candy? Listen to me, listen well, eat only the best, fill yourself with only the finest. Many people today are looking for satisfaction in all the wrong places. Trying to satisfy the craving of their hearts with junk of this world. Or in the church and are spiritually malnourished. You need to come to Jesus, source of life itself. Feed upon Him with a balanced daily diet of prayer and the study of God's Word. You need to drink from His cup through life-giving worship. You need to feast on His love and grace, His forgiveness and His power. Third challenge is keep coming back for more. Jesus expressed two Greek verbs here, to hunger and to thirst, and each are given as present participles, which means and implies there is continuous action. Continuous action. When you read the fourth beatitude closely, it says, those who are filled are not those who have their hunger and thirst met, but those who are continually hungering and thirsting. A person doesn't stop hungering and thirsting for righteousness once he or she has crossed that line of faith. Once you've been to the water of baptism and risen to walk in a new life, you don't say, whoop, I'm in, I'm done. No, it just starts. And we ought to be growing in our walk with God. We ought to be passionate and hungry for the Word of God. We ought to want it now, 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 now. But we're content. 
I've done the stuff I'm supposed to do. Well, after all, I come week in and week out. Listen to you, pal. That's an endurance in and of itself. I would agree. I'm not necessarily wanting an amen on that. Surprised I didn't get one. You know, if you really are hungry and thirsting after righteousness, if you really, truly want it, you're like an addict. You can't get it enough. Every chance you get, you're there. Every opportunity you can, you're opening the word. Do you even carry the Bible enough to even learn from it? Well, I've got it at home right by my chair, and that's where it stands. Oh, okay, great. And do you open it every day? I sure do. I open it. Well, do you read it? Well, most of the time. Well, anybody can set it by the chair and open it. Whoop, there you go. Okay, great. Is it going to jump out of the pages at you at that point? Hmm. It's like me going to a buffet table and just walking by going, okay, okay, all right, very good. Mm, 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 mm. No, it's like the clump family. I've got to grab that thing and scrape the whole thing out. Yeah. All you can eat. Boy, that's a great phrase. And all you can eat. We need to develop a neon light outside that says, all you can eat in here. We wouldn't have any takers. They'd be afraid of what we're serving in here. Once you've encountered that living God, you can't get enough. John MacArthur, great Bible teacher, says, if you claim a relationship with Christ, but you aren't hungry and thirsting for righteousness, you need to honestly question whether you know him. Fourth challenge is eat the whole thing. Believers don't seek bits and pieces of righteousness. They seek all of the righteousness of God. Seek it all. Jesus said, give me a piece of bread. Rather, he says, give me the whole loaf. Literally, Matthew 5, 6 could read, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after all righteousness. The Christian is never satisfied because no matter how much righteousness you have, there's more available. That's what I love about buffets. Because you can start at one end, and there's more food at the other end. And if you deplete that batch, they bring more. It's awesome. It is great. I took Joy and Evan and Mark to Golden Corral, all-you-could-eat steak night. They lost money. Those three guys were like addicts. Their eyes were this big. And they were standing watching the guy cook the steak, and he said, how many do you want? They said, Oh, the whole plate full. And they roll them like carniv carnivores and they went back and got some. Unbelievable. And they would have just kept on putting it on their plate. We ought to be like that in our walk with God. We ought to be like that. That's the problem with most Christians today. As long as it's superficial and doesn't really change us, it's okay. As long as there's a little cosmetic surgery, that's fine. But any more than that, we get uncomfortable now. I don't want to be, I don't want to have to clean up everything. Now, you know, I like my cussing. I like this. I, I like my pornography on the internet occasionally. And I don't need you. I don't, mm -hmm. You could be like the guy named Wilbur Reese, and he wrote this. I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep, but just enough to equal a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. 
I don't want enough of him to make me love a black man or pick, or pick beets with a migrant. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want the warmth of a wound, not a new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I'd like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Because that's where most of us are. Are you ready to take all that God has? Leads us to that third and final principle, and that is the promise of fulfillment. The promise in this verse is that he, Jesus said, they will be filled. What are they going to be filled with? Food? Money? Long life? Promotion? Happiness? Perfect family? Trouble-free life? Well, what are they going to be filled with? First of all, they're going to be filled with righteousness. If you want righteousness, you can have it. If you want, a, for, a, if you want for a truly Christian lifestyle that changes you from the inside out, so that you no longer seek the praise of men, but cause you to seek God's approval above anything else, you can have it. I'm going to go out on a limb here and make a bold statement. Whatever you want in the spiritual realm, you can have if you want it badly enough. If you want it badly enough. If, we, if you are hungering for something better from God, you can have it. If you want it, you can have a close walk with God. If you want it, you can have a better marriage. If you want it, you can do God's will. If you want to, you can grow spiritually. If you want to, you can become a man of God or a woman of God. If you want to, you can change deeply ingrained habits. If you want to, you can break destructive patterns of behavior. When you hunger and thirst after righteousness, when you want what God wants more than anything in the world... You'll have it. Secondly, you'll be filled with Jesus Himself. I close with this final thought. Jesus' appeal is always personal. He never says, come and join the church. Or come and be baptized. Or come and give money. He simply says, come unto me. And when Jesus says, you will be filled, He means you will be filled with Jesus Himself. If you are hungry, Come and eat of the bread of life. If you're thirsty, come and drink of the water of life. If you're weary and heavy laden, come and find rest. If you're guilty, come and be forgiven. If you are far from God, come back home again. That's the great part about being in God. As though I've left for a while, I can come back and as though I never left. Isn't that awesome? The French philosopher Pascal says that there's a God-shaped vacuum inside every heart. Nature doesn't like a vacuum. So if we don't fill it with God, we'll fill it with something else. If you miss church enough, you'll find something to put in its place. If you miss Bible reading enough, you'll find something to put in its place. If you're not walking the walk of God, you'll find something to put in its place. We have full stomachs with empty hearts. We're like a little child who won't let go of the marble in order to receive a diamond. No, I won't give up my weekend affair for eternal joy. Trade a broken marriage and a failed career for peace and forgiveness. Forget it. Give up my drug addiction and be forgiven for all of my sins. Hey, <laughs> no way. You say I can replace my anger and bitterness with peace and contentment? I can't take the chance, sorry. No wonder we stay the way we are. 
were trapped in the pit of a thousand excuses. Would rather have misery and pain than risk it all on Jesus. 1600 years ago, St. Augustine explained both the problem and the solution. He said, oh God, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until we, they, they find rest in you. You will never find happiness and you'll never be at peace until you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. One that is real and going deep. And going deep. When you find that, then you'll be able to say, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Father, I ask you this morning that we understand that the message is never over. Your love for us never ceases. Your forgiveness is always available. And so God, today, would you do a mighty work in each of us? Those of us that are complacent and satisfied, will we get unsatisfied and uncomplacent? Those of us that think we've arrived, if we could open our eyes and realize that we haven't gotten anywhere yet. God, would you do something today? There is somebody in this room that needs to be moved and touched by your spirit. Do it today. Do it today. Would they have the courage to let you do it today? In Jesus' name, amen.